Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey guys, and welcome to the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast, where we try and inspire you to get outside and chase whatever outdoor passions and adventures you've been thinking about, but maybe you haven't done, or maybe it's just a beautiful day outside and you need just that little extra motivation to get out into the outdoors and enjoy yourself, whether that's hunting or fishing. And we hope to do that by providing you with awesome outdoor experiences, stories from people all over the world, and including our own adventures as well. So thank you for tuning in. This podcast is made possible by our sponsor, Wild Edge Inc. They are the maker of the simplest, most versatile climbing system in the outdoor world. So if you need a way to be ultra mobile in the outdoor woods when you're chasing whitetails, check out the Wild Edge system, www.wildedgeinc.com, and use the promo code CHASINGTALES10, that's CHASINGTALES, T-A-L-E-S, one zero to save fifteen dollars on any set of steps that you may order. Unfortunately, deer season is winding down, duck season's winding down, and most of your western hunting is winding down, but that's okay because that means turkey season and the off season is close and that means we can prepare, we can start chasing birds, we can start fishing, and we can start to learn from the past season and I've learned a lot this year. It's been a tough year and if you're like me, suffering from the threat of tag soup my season isn't quite over yet but it's winding down i empathize with you get out there grind push through the next couple weeks if you've got any season left and if not take the time to reflect and see what you could do differently i know that i've got a lot to learn and and apply it to next year hunting public land we've got big things planned for 2019 i've got an elk hunt out west we're trying to line up some diy hunts in different states outside of the state of florida If you find value in the show and you would like to support 
Chasing Tales, its growth, its reach, and its ability to bring content to you from all over the place. We have set up a Patreon account. You can go to www.patreon.com forward slash Chasing Tales Outdoors or just click on the link down in the show notes. I put it in the bottom of every show notes. You can choose to, to sign up and contribute, and that money goes directly to the production of this podcast. It offsets the operating costs that we have, and hopefully it'll help fund some of these adventures that we have planned. If you would like to contribute, please check out the Patreon account. It would mean the world to us if you would donate directly. Now we should get to this week's episode, but before we do, I'm going to close this out with a brief word from our dear friends at the Sportsman's Alliance. If you're new to the podcast or if this is your first episode, please go back a couple episodes and listen to the podcast that we recorded with them. The Sportsman's Alliance is fighting for our rights to hunt, fish, and trap and enjoy the outdoors on our public lands, on our private lands, and they have an incredible success rate in the court system. So here's this week's message from Sean Kern of the Sportsman's Alliance. The Sportsman's Alliance is uh, we're a nonprofit organization, uh, but we were founded you know, in the late 1970s. In Ohio, there was a ballot initiative that sought to ban all forms of trapping. So they knew that if they could take their agenda to Ohio and and win on this issue that's very near and dear to them, that they could then take that and plug and play in other states. Um, so a group was organized to run the ballot initiative on behalf of sportsmen. They ran the campaign. They did an outstanding job. They succeeded, and they defeated that ballot initiative but calls continued to come in from around the country to these these folks from other states having similar issues so there was a need they took the appropriate steps and they formed the organization and they said well let's let's specialize in these things and so that's how our organization was formed that's what we've pretty much focused on the last 40 years has been protecting and advancing the american traditions of hunting fishing trapping and the shooting sports and so that's that's kind of the who we are and what we do that's kind of our our specialty is we work you know, in the legislatures, we work in the courtroom, we work at the ballot box, and we do work in all 50 states. And I hope that after hearing this and listening to the previous episode, you'd feel compelled to join the Sportsman's Alliance like I have and like many of our listeners have to help support our outdoor hunting, fishing, and trapping heritage. Guys, I'm excited. This is the first podcast that I've recorded with multiple people on the phone in quite some time. First, I've got my co-host tonight, Chase Prince. How you doing, buddy? Oh man, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. How are you doing, Walt? I am. I am dying to get outside, but we'll get to that in a little bit here. So I'm. I'm thrilled to have you on. And then we've got an awesome guest. This is a fellow that I have tried to during a hurricane evacuation to get on the line and talk, and it just didn't pan out then. Uh, then we tried it, I think a little right before the holidays and that was just too, too soon as well. And we, we finally got a date on the, on the calendar that stuck, which is tonight on the phone. I've got the legendary Jared Schaefer. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, Walt. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go so far as to say it legendary, but <laughs> well, unfortunately at this hey, point, legendary in somebody's mind, that's awesome. <laughs> At this point, I have billed you up to be a legend, so I just need you to to play one for the next 50 minutes. All right. I'll see what I can do, man. (laughs) Well, uh, for our listeners uh, may not recognize the name Jared Schaefer. I I highly doubt that they don't. But in the event, for the few that don't know who you are, uh, you go by a couple different uh, YouTube handles. You work with a a couple different YouTube handles. you got an Instagram handle. Why don't you kind of tell everybody who you are and maybe uh, tell them where they may have already seen your work? 
All right, so my name is Jared Schaefer. I'm in north central West Virginia. I am flinging errors on pretty much any forum you come across, and that, that is my one YouTube channel. Also, have a YouTube channel under Hunt Appalachia and um, uh, JShafe30 on Instagram. So, you may have seen me around there. You, you kind of have this uh, unique ability to hunt a lot of different terrains in some different areas. You hail from West Virginia, right? Yep, that's correct. And you hunt what three states around you? Um, so mainly West Virginia and Ohio are the two main ones. That's right. That's right. And Wyoming rounded out your 2018 yeah, hunt. This year. That's what it was. <laughs> that's what the third one was. And you kind of hunt a different style of hunting in that you kind of have to hike a, a pretty good distance on some of your places. I don't think you're hunting the – the 500 acre tracks of public you tend to go a little deeper into what national forest or is it state lands i will hunt anywhere i can find deer so i'm on <laughs> public land private land uh, you know whatever it takes to about. get to them i'm i'm going so <laughs> any weapon yeah any weapon bow gun doesn't matter to me as long as it's legal that's what i told walt on a podcast i said bone collectors don't discriminate <laughs> yeah, no, any any style weapon that you you were kind of preaching that to me uh not too long back cuz I've been bow only my almost my entire life and uh being that I've had a little bit of a dry spell here uh Chase was trying to he's hey, why don't you pick up that rifle? <laughs> <laughs> hey man, there's no shame in that game. Yeah, hey, if it's legal, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. Maybe my pride's been too big lately. I I've always prided myself on being able to get it done with the bow, and and that's not really an elitist thing so much as I just I kind of like to set high bars for myself. But uh, I think this year, and and, and Chase finally got through to me, is this year has been difficult hunting public land here in this area, and uh, the the firearm might be the great equalizer. Yeah, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, I mean there's there's a reason that the general gun season in Florida is over two months long. It's not because it's easy to hunt here. <laughs> is baiting a legal thing in a West Virginia? Yeah, every other week. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry. So I thought you said, is bathing legal in West Virginia? <laughs> Greg Godfrey will like that one. He, he likes to dog on my home state. Yeah, baiting oh, is legal. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Bathing is legal every other day. That's awesome. Bathing is legal, people. It is legal. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's awesome. What part of West Virginia is this? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he probably doesn't want to say. <laughs> oh, Lord. Well, That's funny. Jared, you've, you've had a, a variety of success this year. Just hell, every year for the past couple of years, you've had a lot of success, but... I found your YouTube channel, oh, I don't know, at least a year ago, maybe a little longer, and you started off with like a trophy line tree saddle, and, and that was kind of how I found you, was through saddle hunting, but this year, and the topic for tonight's podcast is not going to be saddle hunting. I want you to come back, maybe at some point in time, we'll share some saddle hunting stories, but the when we originally sat down and we wanted to talk about this, the the podcast topic for tonight is going to be a western diy hunt in wyoming and i don't know that any diy hunt could have ended any better than how your hunt ended this year 
dude. It was awesome. Uh, I'm still in disbelief of how well it really turned out. And, uh, yeah, just looking back on it, it's kind of hard to believe actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we're going to, I don't want to go into that just yet. I kind of, ke- I kind of took us in the wrong direction there, but, um, for the story itself. But what I would like to do is kind of set the stage as to why you picked the state that you did, um, your, your decision process, the exact GPS coordinates of where you went. <laughs> okay, got it. You, you can leave that off, obviously. But we, uh, we just need a pin on Onyx. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll just drop the pin and whoever wants it, man, go for it. Get, that ought to be a giveaway. That's what we ought to do. We ought to do a listener giveaway. That's, yeah, that's part of being on the podcast, man. <laughs> You, you make the podcast circuit, you got to start giving out some coordinates. <laughs> Jared, Jared's going to give away his personal saddle and his coordinates, too. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but, but seriously, where, why, why did you pick the state of Wyoming? Uh, so that, it's a funny question because, you know, I was thinking about this today. Why did we pick Wyoming? And to be honest with you, I really don't know. This idea kind of came up between myself and uh, two buddies that I work with. They're they're twin brothers actually, and uh, you know they're they're kind of like me, kind of hardcore whitetail guys. And um, we just kind of got to talking one day that man, we want to go out west and go hunting. And we're like, where the heck do we even go? And we're like, yeah, Wyoming sounds pretty cool. You know, we didn't really know anything about hunting in Wyoming or anything like that. So we're like, yeah, let's start putting in for preference points for wyoming and uh maybe in a couple years we'll go out there so that was literally all the thought that we put into picking wyoming (laughs) it it obviously worked i mean i think uh, it's funny because you it sounds like you kind of just went yeah that sounds good and a lot of people have like this strategy behind like well there's less people in this unit versus that unit and whatnot it just seems like y'all just kind of picked a spot and relied on your your outdoorsman prowess yeah, I mean, just we just decided on the state, and um, I mean, you got to think this is back roughly nine years ago. So we started putting in. So Wyoming is um, preference points uh, system for non-residents. So we started putting in points every year, just hoping that we could eventually draw a good unit and maybe hunt some big bucks. And uh, we actually wanted to go a lot sooner than what we did, but. You know how life is. It just kind of yeah. slips away from you. And uh, before you know it, we had uh, eight points, and we, we decided that we better get on it and try to draw a tag. Now, did those points cost you any money? Yes, they were $40 every year. So, Whew. Okay, so that's you just put in 40 bucks and it's bye-bye until, until you actually use the, the tag or go hunt there, I guess. Okay, so kind of similar to like trying to get a tag for Iowa or something like that for your preference points. You put in the fifty bucks, and it's you basically got to say that's going to be part of your tag by the end of it. Yep, exactly. Okay, so that's good to know. Well, so I may have billed this wrong. Did I say earlier that this was over the counter? I believe you did. I did, guys. <laughs> gosh, guys, this is terrible. The host is dropping the ball already. It's only seven forty at night. Um, yeah, because I was like uh, over the counter, and it took nine years. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I kind of feel like you have a bit of an advantage over most of the East Coast, being that you live in West Virginia. That's basically at ten thousand foot elevation, right? Yeah, it's pretty much exactly the same thing. I mean, I've got like a two thousand foot peak in my backyard, so it's yeah. I mean, I was ready for it. It was pretty easy. 
<laughs> that's that's a hell of an advantage over uh, the the 30-foot peak that I have uh, on my my steepest WMA here in Florida. That's, yeah. uh so how did your how did your preparation for that change? Did you did you basically just hunt the same way that you normally do doing those those backpacking trips or did you hike every day? Um yeah, a lot of hiking. I I actually started in um the summer of 2017. Um I bought a pack you know, just started, you know, I do have a hill behind my house, but it's not 2000 foot elevation, but, um, about 200 feet of elevation gain in a quarter mile. So it's, it's a pretty steep hill, but yeah, I would, uh, throw 40 pounds on my back and hike that hill three, four times a week. And, uh, actually lost about 30 pounds doing that in 2017. Thank God. And then, yeah, it, uh, it's pretty crazy. Just, you know, you get up off the couch, you actually lose a little bit of weight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not, it, my wife told me, she says it's not that hard. You just eat less and move more. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty simple, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. So gosh, I, I wonder how, so you, you put in for these points for several years were you acquiring gear the whole time or was it one of these things where you, you and your guys got together and said, okay, at this point, boom, right here, it's time to get our butts in gear. Yeah. So I actually started getting gear together, um, probably three years ago, you know, started getting some backpacking gear and testing it, testing it out in the yard and doing weekend trips and just kind of figuring out what I like to use. And I actually, swapped things a good bit I, you know sleeping pads tents um just several different things that i that i tried out that just kind of put together and um yeah when it came to gear I, I felt like we were pretty pretty much ready to go we uh we really didn't do any last minute type gear decisions we kind of systematically worked at it over the last couple of years to keep that cost you know so it wasn't as bad so it wasn't right. all up front so it was it was kind of all spread out through the last couple of years. So not to get too deep into the technical side of things, because obviously we want to keep this focused on the story, but I have to ask, what one piece of gear did you pack that you didn't need? Oh, man, that's a tough one. Because I, let me think, I had my gear pretty much the bare minimum. Um Man, that's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. I got most of my gear sitting right here. I'm looking here. Or what's one piece of gear that you relied on the most while you were out there? That's a good one, too. Yeah, that is a good one, too. Yeah, let's break that down into two parts. What I uh, what I didn't need and what what um, what I used the most. Yeah, that'd be good. Um, yeah, so I would say that the one piece of gear that I that I didn't really need was I probably brought a little extra clothes that I, that I didn't need. I had it pretty pared down, but um, yeah, I had a couple clothing items that I didn't really use and that I kind of left out on the second leg of the trip. And, um, but for the most part, I had my gear pretty much nailed down to the, the bare minimum and it was pretty lightweight. What time, what of, time year of year were you out, out there? Um, we were out there mid-September, so the opener was September 15th. So relatively mild temperatures? Yeah, we saw temperatures from the teens up to 80 degrees all in the same day. So 
pretty big temperature swings every day. Damn, sounds like Florida. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like January in Florida. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Chase, do you have any other questions to kind of set this stage, or do, or do you want to start probing towards the, the story itself? Well, I was trying to sit here and think of some questions I might have. I know you, you decided to go out to Wyoming. Did you go on any other trips out west between – the eight years you're putting in preference points or is this like just the one place that you decided to travel to and that's where you were going to go? No, this was actually my very first time out West. Yeah. So no other Stop, trips. Stop. You're lying. <laughs> yeah. Dead serious. Oh my God. First time's a charm. Yeah. <laughs> Don't go back. You're batting a hundred now. Yeah. Quit while I'm ahead. Right. <laughs> oh my God. And you, oh, I'm not going to ruin it for everybody. This is awesome. Okay. Let's do this. How long was your hunt? So our hunt was, say, I'm not counting the first two days out there because that was before the opener. So we basically had seven days set aside for the actual hunt. Okay, so let's do this. Let's break this down starting with your scouting days because I think a lot of people would find that interesting how you scouted. You said two days ahead of time? Yeah. Yeah. So why don't you start with how you scouted and kind of give us a chronological – like how how you managed to get find your deer, what occurred, and then I will and Chase can interrupt as needed to probe for more. But I have a feeling you're going to crank this thing out. <laughs> All right. So the uh, so my scouting for this trip it started a year ago. You know, just sitting on my computer doing as much possible cyber scouting as I could. So I spent hours and hours on Google Earth, CalTopo, and Onyx Maps. And Onyx Maps, you know, everybody knows Onyx Maps nowadays. It's pretty popular. So if you are going out west, that roadless layer that's on that map is freaking awesome. And that, that is exactly how I found this spot that I wanted to check out. So click on that roadless layer. It showed this area. You know, there's hardly anything around it so i kind of started my search right there you know where it was it was so far away from any roads that it kind of highlighted itself so i started looking at this area it was uh it's basically three ridges with a connecting saddle in between each one so i kind of liked how it laid out it had the cover type i was looking for um had kind of the the cliffs and the the timber and the like the broken timber up high it just kind of i mean it screamed deer country to me just looking at it so you know i zoomed in close as i could on aerial i had water sources marked i had a campsite marked um deer trails i mean you could see everything on these aerial maps so this is so the cyber scouting is really where all my work went into with this trip um that's awesome did you speak to anybody while you were out there or before you went out there like someone that had gone out there did you get any advice from anybody um especially with the uh cyber scouting yeah i actually did talk to a few guys um you know i kind of poked around forums and stuff and looked for guys that had went out there and i sent messages to a bunch of people just seeing you know what kind of information i could get and um Nobody gave me any really solid areas to look at, like, hey, go here, there's good bucks. You know, I never did get that. 
but they kind of told me the uh, like the terrain type and what the bucks tend to do when they get pressured. You know, they'll get pushed down out of the high country, down into the you know more timbered areas. So I kind of took all that to uh, to heart whenever I was actual cyber scouting. How did you how did you obtain that that scouting like decision? Was that was that via forums people uh, nudging you in the right direction, or was that more of like a just observing conversations? Did you actually reach out to people, or did you just scan through and just read the dialogue that was happening? Um, both. Yeah, yeah. I reached out to a few people. Um, you know, got a little bit of information there, but um, man, people were pretty tight lipped. <laughs> they didn't really want to share a whole lot about it. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey man, tell me about your hunting spot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it doesn't work out too good. What did what did, did it was a gla- was glassing an option where you were or was it too thick for that? Yeah, glassing was definitely going to be probably the number one tactic to to trying to find them for sure. What was your setup for that? Um so I had a it's kind of a mid-range spotting scope. It's a it's made by Cabela's. It's just a it's a 65 millimeter, um, 15 to 45 power. Um, I was kind of on a budget, you know, for a, for a spotting scope and it had good reviews and found it on sale. So I just kind of went with the, uh, with the kind of mid range spotter. But the one thing that, that I used out there that was, that I used every single day was my binoculars on a tripod. And that was probably the best thing that I had was the ability to put my binoculars on that tripod. So why didn't you opt for a large? So one of the most popular things I'm seeing on the the Instagram pages now is, uh, you know, like a 12 by 50 binocular in lieu of a spotting scope. Did that ever cross your mind or was it did you have a, a particular reason why you opted to go the spotting scope route? Um, I kind of wanted to do both because, you know, I like to use binoculars when I whitetail hunt as well. So I got a pair of 10 power, uh, Mavens, which I would highly recommend if anybody's looking for a good pair of binos, but yeah, I kind of wanted to do both so I could, um, film through my spotting scope as well with the phone scope, Okay, which that, that turned out to be pretty cool. Yeah. I, I could see how that, yeah, yeah. Actually, I remember that in your video. Um, yep. I think, uh, and I think it's also maybe a little different for me. Whereas if I'm going out west, I'm, I'm not going to have any points in, in the time, near future. So for me, it's just, no, oh, it's a buck. Okay, cool, done. Whereas for yeah. you, you know, you've been drawing for this thing for eight years, so you probably had a, a really good tag in a really good area, and you didn't want to just make a stalk on an eighty-inch buck. Right. Yeah. So the spotting scope probably would have helped narrow that down a little more. Awesome. Did you have any goals before you went out there? Did you have any clue of what type of bucks you might be getting into or what, what class? Um, so the area we went to had a pretty bad uh, winter kill a few years ago. So the uh, I guess the population of the mature bucks was down a little bit. So I didn't really have a set goal on a buck. I just basically wanted to go out there and have a good time and you know try to go after a good representative buck of the area and uh i think the one i got fits that pretty well (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah i think so (laughs) so 26 hours later you leave west virginia you get there what was it everything you thought it would be or was it totally different than expectations 
from a from a so, from a scouting standpoint. Yeah, so we uh, we got out there, and man, the uh, you know you can you can look at this stuff on Google Earth all you want and try to get in your mind what it looks like, but the mountains are about four times taller than you actually can picture them. <laughs> so, you know, we're, you know, we pull up to the trailhead. Um, there was four trucks at the trailhead. So I was like, yeah, that's not too bad. You know, not too many guys in here. And, uh, you know, just looking straight up at these just incredible mountains and just thinking to myself, can we actually do this? This is, this may be a little bit more than we bargained for. <laughs> Was there a moment of doubt about the time you realized maybe this was more than what you bargained for? Um, I don't think it was doubt. Um, it was definitely intimidating, but, uh, yeah, I, I thought that if we took our time and, you know, didn't kill ourselves hiking to the top that we would, that we would probably get into some deer. Yeah. I think, I think maybe I would have been a little like overwhelmed at that point, <laughs> but that's also coming from a dude in Florida. I mean, <laughs> yeah. We... But uh, no, we uh, no, we got there and it was, uh, you know, we we had to hike through a bit of timber to uh, to get to the top. And uh, really, our goal was to get to the the trailhead, which we got there about two o'clock in the afternoon. So we didn't have enough time to hike clear to the top that first night. And a, another issue was we wanted to acclimate to the the higher elevation since we mm-hmm. never been in elevation and we didn't really know how our bodies would react to it. So what we did was our plan was to camp at the trailhead and just kind of take it easy that evening. But we were so frigging excited that we had our packs on loaded up and we're hiking up the hill as fast as we can go within an hour of being there. We got about a quarter of the way up and found a nice flat bench on the side of the mountain. It's kind of, it was mostly um, kind of heavy pines and uh, a lot of elk sign, so we just decided to to camp there for the night and kind of take it easy until the next day. Were were y'all in grizzly country? Um, they say that there are some around, but not a very high population. So we we really didn't think too much about it. Okay, cool. Yeah, because I know there's from what I've heard, listening to some other podcasts and stuff like, there's some areas that you don't have to worry about as much, and then there's some where they're just it's just loaded with grizzlies, especially in uh, Wyoming. Yeah, we were a little bit um, farther south of where the main grizzly population is, I believe. So you really didn't have any kind of aside from dehydration and maybe freezing to death. You really didn't have <laughs> any kind of predatory concerns. No, not really. I mean, nothing that really worried me at all. And you were out there with a group of guys. Now, how many guys were out there with you? There was three of us total. Three of you. And I noticed there was the video on YouTube. Who, who was the camera guy? Was it just, did y'all just draw straws? Or how did you decide who was going to film? I actually filmed that whole thing myself. Yeah, the other two guys. Um, Whoa. Wow, that was impressive. Yeah. So I carried all the, the camera gear and <laughs> just filmed the whole thing. Yeah, I wanted to tell you before anything else that I really liked the quality of that video. Just, I mean, it was it was actually probably one of the better videos I've seen on YouTube with, especially somebody self filming like that. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, you did a good job. Yeah, it, it honestly, I think it rivals much, if not all, of what you see on TV. I mean, like it was, 
it's legit for and to, to know that you did that all by yourself. That's incredible. How, so how how exhausting uh, was it trying to get your buddies to pose for some of that stuff? Like to go ahead of them and get the and get the video. Did you have to huff it ahead of them, or would they let you get up above you? Uh, I basically just ran just the whole time. <laughs> 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 I uh, I didn't really you know script anything or set anything up. I just kind of got it as it happened, and you know that that film. If you know if anybody wants to watch it on my YouTube, it's um, it's called acclimate adapt and overcome but you know that 20 minute video i bet i've got four hours of footage that i that i took during that thing Ooh. so it's yeah just i filmed the whole time and you know, it was it was pretty awesome dang gum that's a bunch of footage to sort through yeah yeah for sure <laughs> so so yeah i mean i i enjoyed it yeah, I, I sent it to, to Chase earlier and was like, hey, this, this is the, the video I was telling you about. And uh, I knew he was going to enjoy it from the start because all your videos, even the ones that are on the Hunt Appalachia that aren't uh, mule deer hunting are all like that. They're very very um, cinematic. It's very, very picturesque. And it's it's all done with, and this sounds really silly to say, but like really good B-roll. Like that's something that you do an excellent job of is is – you know, the the cuts between major scenes are, are just you never lose interest the whole time. Well, I appreciate that, man. I've been I've been doing it a while. Oh, geez, I don't know how many years now. So fifteen years, I guess. I don't know, but yeah, it's just always been a hobby of mine and something I really enjoy doing. So day one rolls in, you're scouting. Did you see what you were looking for? Yeah, so yeah, we hiked to the top. Um we we actually were looking for water because we we were just about out of water and we realized real quick that there is pretty much no water when you get to the top of the mountain. It's pretty dry. So we, yeah, we hike out to a waterfall Uh-oh. and man, it's some awesome looking country. I mean, it just it looks even better in person than than what you can imagine. You know, looking at the map. So we kind of. We hike out to this water hole, and it's more like an elk wallow. It's just muddy as all get out. It's just nasty. And um, we decided to, to hike back to, you know, we, we decided to camp in a saddle between these two big ridges that kind of put us close to the deer but kind of out of the way so they wouldn't see us. But So we hike back, set up camp, and um, our plan was, you know, get our gear, hike back out to that water hole and try to filter some and then glass for deer right there in that same spot. So we get our camp set up. We hike back out that afternoon about 4 o'clock, I would guess. And um, we didn't even make it back to that water hole when we kind of stopped to look up in this rocky little chute that's way up on the on the side of the mountain. And this is no joke. The, I pulled my binoculars up, and I a 175-inch buck standing right there. <laughs> <laughs> so the first mule deer i've ever seen in my life is a 175 inch freaking monster buck <laughs> welcome to wyoming yeah just <laughs> eight years in the making <laughs> yeah it, it was at that point that i thought that you know hey maybe we could actually pull this off you know <laughs> yeah yeah hey this is easier than i thought it was so you know we're sitting there watching this buck and um my buddy, he looks down, you know, we're on a kind of a sheer, real steep hillside. He's like, hey, that track down there has some water in it. There was an elk track inside of the hill, and it was filled up with water. We're like, huh, oh, that's kind of weird. 
So we, I kind of start digging this side of the hill out with my hand and it starts filling in with water. So there's like a seep coming out of the side of the mountain. So we literally dug a hole with our bare hands, you know, about a foot deep. And we could filter our water right out of the side of the mountain. <laughs> Holy crap. So, yeah, just complete bond. I mean, we're sitting there watching this buck and filtering water, which, you know, that high country like that, water is probably your number one number one issue that you're going to just not being able to find any water. Right. And the, the altitude makes you dehydrated, right? Isn't that one of the things with altitude? Does it dehydrate you more? Yeah, I mean, you really have to to watch and drink as much water as you possibly can. So, you know, we we drank a ton on the way up the mountain, just hoping that we would find them. And I mean, we just completely locked up. One of the things I've heard a lot, and I'm, I'm curious if you can shed light on it, is the is the sun more intense at such a high elevation? Is that a true thing, or is that a myth? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, we all got sunburn on our faces and necks, you know, just from sitting up there. So it was definitely, uh, yeah, if you go out there and hunt the high country, uh, definitely take something to cover your, your neck and your head with because it's, uh, yeah, it was a little bit worse, I thought. Huh. So that, that's true. My uncle's been telling me about how in Colorado at, at high elevation that uh, the sunlight's more intense, which I guess kind of makes sense. But I, I, I find it, I found it kind of difficult to believe that only a couple thousand feet would, would make that difference, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only a couple. <laughs> yeah, just a couple. So y'all found this big buck. There's uh, three of y'all. How do you go about deciding who's shooting the buck? Yeah, so we, you know, we spotted the buck. We didn't really talk about it um, that <laughs> evening, so <laughs> I think it was all in, our, in the back of our minds. You know, who's going to get to shoot this buck? But um, we actually went back closer to our camp, and we spotted another buck just below camp that was just as big pretty much so we had two big bucks located wow so uh you know we went to bed that evening and didn't really talk about it <laughs> but i'm kind of wondering you know the whole time you know what are we going to do this is getting kind of awkward you know who's going to go after what but uh yeah we got up uh, the next morning well before daylight and we just decided to draw sticks and whoever got the short stick was going to go after the big buck so we did that, and my buddy Josh, he drew the stick, so he got to go after the big buck, which was completely fine with me. That was, that was cool with me. So um, his brother decided he was going to go – they were going to go together and see if they could, you know, make a move on this buck. And um, I just dropped him below camp, basically, um, just sat on the side of the, the ridge there so I could see if I could spot that other buck that we spotted the evening before. Now, you guys were hunting with a rifle, right, for this hunt? Yep, yep, rifle hunt. Okay, so you don't you don't necessarily have to worry about spot and stock or anything like that. You're basically just sitting there glassing, trying to find one get and get close enough within rifle range? Yep, that's pretty much the plan. Cool. What was rifle range? So I had my gun dialed in out to 1,000. I was really hoping to get half that or less. <laughs> wow. Where, do you, where did you practice said 1,000-yard shot? In Ohio. He shot his target back in West Virginia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so I'm lucky. I have a 1,000-yard range, like 25 minutes from my house. No joke. <laughs> Gosh. Okay. I mean, I have some spots here in Florida I can do that, like on our, but it's flatland. I was just, just curious on 
I didn't realize that they had thousand yard range is out there. Yeah, it's pretty rare around here to find find a place to shoot that far. Okay, what was your setup? What what rifle you rock in? What scope? What cartridge? Yeah, so I had a Bergara B14. It it was in six uh, five Creedmoor, and I had a Vortex um, six and a half to twenty power scope on it. And uh, yeah, I had it I had it dialed in, shooting great out to a thousand yards. So. Now, what what kind of group can you expect at a thousand yards? Is that like a 10-inch group, 5-inch group? Yeah, roughly a 10-inch group, I would say. Um, it held a really good group. You know, I never did actually shoot a group with it at 1,000 yards, but um, shot lots of steel plates, and, yeah, it did really well. Okay, so how did you end up deciding to approach your deer? Because he goes off about his business to chase the, what, was a 170? All right, so my yeah, my two buddies they went after the big buck, and um, so I dropped down below camp, and um, I'm sitting there watching the sun, you know, rise up the uh, side of the canyon there, and I I kind of had my gun sitting about ten yards behind me because I'd kind of moved down so I could get a little better view through some trees, and I see see a rack coming up through the short pines, you know, about four hundred yards in front of me, and I kind of freak out a little bit because my guns. You know, this deer's in range and the, the gun's sitting behind me. But um, I started watching this buck, and he's a really nice three-by-four, really nice and tall, double throat patch, got velvet hanging off still, just a really cool-looking buck. And um, he actually walks up, and he beds down right in the wide open, so I was kind of watching him. And he was a really nice buck, and I'm trying to talk myself out of shooting him because i'm like man it's the first day do i really want to tag out within the first hour of the season <laughs> so um he was at 470 yards and uh i was like you know what i'm just going to see if i could put a stock on him and if i could get within 200 yards i'm going to shoot him so i packed up my gear and i started i kind of dropped down into the uh into the timber just to get some cover and i kind of just started working my way toward him you want me to keep just keep yeah, going? Yeah, no, keep going, man. Yeah, man just yeah. keep on rocking. You're doing a great job. Yes, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, so I, uh, <laughs> yeah, so I dropped down into those pines and started working my way toward him, and I, I got within 200 yards. And once I got a little bit closer, you know, the terrain has just got so many dips and valleys in it that I kind of lost him and I couldn't see him anymore. So I figured, well, I got this close. I'm just going to keep on going. So. <laughs> I, I made my way into the same patch of trees that they were in. <laughs> so I'm looking. I'm like, man, these deer have to be right here. And I finally caught a glimpse of one of them. <laughs> and they were like 80 yards away. So I was like, oh, man, I'm, you know, if they jump up, I'm going to have a shot. So I just kind of kept creeping forward. And I kind of come over this little mound of dirt. And they were bedded down 60 yards away. <laughs> so this buck jumps up. And, you know, I don't think he seen a person for a while i would guess but he just kind of hopped about five yards and he stopped broadside just wide open and just kind of instinct after that i put the shouldered the rifle and just hammered him (laughs) (laughs) so you practice for a thousand yards you would have been happy to get within 500 you then said let me get within 200 and then you shot him at 60 yep pretty much (laughs) (laughs) that's usually how ends up oh man dude that's that's absurd you i almost i'm almost like 
worried that we need to put a disclaimer, like to tell people, like it's not this easy, right? Like you're yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're not going to pick a spot on the map and just water appear on the side of the mountain, you know? Like <laughs> you're not going to wake up, blast from camp, and see two two Boone and Crockett mule deer on the side of the uh, on the side of the mountain within shooting distance of the camp, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it may not work out this way every time, people. I'm telling you. <laughs> did you stay at a Holiday Inn Express that night? Yeah, I did. I think that was it. <laughs> how far did he? How far did he end up running? So he ran right toward me. He almost ran me over. <laughs> and he he did like a front flip over this rock, and he landed uh, not ten yards away from me. Just dead as a doornail. <laughs> That's well, absurd. Sounds, yeah, when you, especially when you plan on being out there for, what, seven days of hunting and you're tagged out day one. I mean, I guess it probably helped you guys or helped your friends, right, for later on in the trip. You were able to help them out or spot for them or how'd you, how'd you go about that? Yeah, we can get into that. So, yeah, we had the uh, the Garmin inReach units with us. So I messaged my buddies and told them that I had a buck down and they uh, – they came down there and we got it all quartered out and, you know, loaded up into the packs. And since Josh had went after that buck in the morning, he decided to help me pack my deer out back to the truck while his brother, Jeremy, went after that big buck again for the evening. So me and Josh kind of split the meat and I had the cape and the horns and everything. And it was a freaking heavy load. I'll tell you that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, when we there's that much that bone supper. on his head, of course it is. <laughs> yeah dude it was it was uh it was pretty brutal i'm not gonna lie but uh yeah we packed him out it was about four and a half miles back to the truck and uh made it to the truck drove him to the processor which was another hour and a half so we uh start headed back to the trailhead after we you know got my buck taken care of and i get a message on my in reach that says big buck down i'm like oh my god you've got to be kidding me so Jeremy had shot, he had shot that, that 175 inch buck while we were taking care of mine. <laughs> wow. It's oh incredible. Um, when do I need to start putting in for this tag right, right now? So I'll draw in about 10 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think Chase just downloaded the Onyx maps for Wyoming and he's over there cyber scouting. <laughs> yeah. I've been cyber scouting the whole time. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's all it was awesome, but uh, I mean you can't go back for nine years. I mean you might as well drop a brother a pin. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> I, I could. I'll tell you what, I'll put it within fifteen miles of where I was at. Well, that hey. helps. <laughs> now we're talking. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, no, you you go ahead and lead from there. I... Yeah. So uh, yeah, we got that message that Jeremy shot his. So we hiked four and a half miles back to camp and then we had another two miles out to where he had shot that buck so we got out there and it was well after dark so we got his buck quartered out and caped out and all that and we ended up getting back to camp about 1 a.m the next morning (laughs) (laughs) so i had i had basically packed out two deer and i don't know how many miles i hiked that day i think it was almost 20 miles in one day Jesus. Yeah. So needless to say, I slept in the next morning. <laughs> <laughs> the next two day days. Day two, right? We're talking day two yeah. here. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just day two, you get to sleep in. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I helped. You know, I helped Jeremy pack his deer out um, that next morning. And uh, so this is where the story gets pretty interesting because things actually go downhill from here. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we we take the deer into town. We start coming back toward the trailhead, and there's a big cloud of smoke coming over the mountain and it looks like it's coming from right where we were camping Uh oh. so kind of freaking out a little bit you know like man that looks really close and uh i still had cell service so i got a hold of my wife and you know i told her i said hey i'm gonna lose service like any minute now can you get a hold of the forest service and see if you can find out if there's a, a, a forest fire so she's trying to call them can't get a hold of anybody so we make it back to the trailhead. There's people leaving in droves. There's trucks just flying the opposite way of where oh, we're no. going. So not a, not a good feeling at all. People just leaving, you know. So we get to the trailhead, and I'm messaging my wife. And she's like, you know, I can't find anything. There's helicopters circling. So we know that there's a fire somewhere close. And Josh is still up on the mountain. So we throw our packs on, and we start running pretty much and we didn't make it very far and josh met up with us he actually had ran all the way off the mountain four and a half miles <laughs> Wow! and he had left all the gear up top <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> guns tent, sleeping bag i mean everything was sitting up on top of the mountain and it's just covered in smoke so you know, we were kind of just standing there trying to figure out what we we're going to do. And I was like, well, you know, if they shut this area off, we're never going to get our gear back. You know, it's pretty much gone and our hunt's over with. So I, they were kind of freaking out a little bit. They didn't want to go back up there, which I really didn't need to be honest, but there was a lot of money sitting up there that we really needed to get. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so we just kind of started working our way back up and, uh, the smoke kind of cleared out a little bit and it didn't look so bad. So we were able to make it back to camp, packed up real quick and we just bombed out of there. And, uh, we had to completely leave that area. God, but you did get your gear. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily we got all of our gear and we, we got out of there in time. So, so how does that work? I mean, was the whole unit shut down and was that the only place you could hunt with that tag? Um, so they didn't shut the whole unit down. They just, um, and it wasn't even a mandatory evacuation. It was just kind of, you know, I don't know what you call it, but they weren't forcing you to leave. Not at that point. But it, the next day, they actually, it was a mandatory evacuation. So we, we kind of made the right, deci- right decision of getting in there and getting all of our stuff out. So what, what was, so the end result for your, for your third buddy was he was just SOL at that point. Well, we, uh, we actually went into town, got a hotel that night, and, you know, was able to take a shower and stuff, so that was pretty nice. But we just kind of got on the maps and started looking at new areas. And um, I had actually kind of gotten to become friends with a guy that was a local out there, and he was actually hunting in the same unit. So I uh, I was able to give him a call, and he, he kind of gave me, you know, an idea of maybe an, a spot to try that was on the – kind of south of where the fire was at and you know where it would be safe to go so the uh you know we stayed in the hotel that night 
the next morning we got up and we drove uh, about two and a half hours south to uh, another spot in the unit and uh, was trying to hopefully find the, the third buck. They, you did find another buck, right? You just had a miss? Yeah, I can get into that. Yeah, come on. So, yeah, so we uh, we rolled up into this new spot, and there is people everywhere. There's people camped all along the road. Um, we actually got to talking to a couple guys, and they were telling us where they were hunting, and it was pretty much exactly where we were going to go. So um, that evening, we uh, we did go out in glass, saw a couple does, but nothing really, uh, nothing that excited us. So we decided just to camp there at the truck that night. And, uh, our plan was to get up the next morning and drive even farther, go to another spot that we, uh, we just basically looked at on the map and thought that it looked pretty good. So our plan was to just pick up our camp and move there the next day. Do you think that it was crowded because of the fire? No, I think it was crowded just because it was kind of close to the road and the access was pretty easy. You didn't really have to hike that far to get in there. So I think that was the reason there was there were so many guys in that one spot. And let me ask you a question. Yeah. Competition-wise, were, were you dealing with a bunch of locals out there, or was it a mix, or was it a bunch of out-of-state guys? Um, how would you rate that? It was mostly locals. So this this region is a it's the general region for residents so it's just over the counter for wyoming residents so there is a a lot of people that hunt it and um a lot of people that hunt it on horseback so you get a lot of guys that can ride way back in there and uh you're kind of competing with them you know you're trying to hike back in there and they're just riding their horses so it makes it pretty tough to uh to out hike anybody do you feel like there's a range between where the horses go and where the average guy goes, like a like a mid-range that becomes yours at that point? Yeah, so that's pretty much what we were shooting for. Uh, we were trying to kind of get past where most people that were day hunting were going, but not quite as far as the horse guys. And that seemed to be in that three to five mile range from the trailhead. Did that add to so, the action on, on either ends of those range? Do you think that ended up pushing deer towards you yeah so that's that's actually what we what we ran into we uh so the third area we hiked into we went in about it was about five miles and uh we spent a full day up at ten thousand three hundred feet so we were up really high in just absolutely gorgeous country um oh the pictures make actually, me drool oh dude just oh. i mean we weren't seeing any deer, but honestly, I sat there for 12 hours, and I was completely happy with <laughs> with, <laughs> with the 140-inch um, deer in the cooler back at the truck. Yeah, yeah, I was good. Well, I was back at the uh, processor, right? <laughs> Sorry you're not seeing anything, buddy. Uh, man, this view is great, though, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> sounds like something Chase would say to me one day. Exactly. It's always better when you're tagged out yeah. sitting there. Waiting on your buddy. No, we were we were really pulling for Josh to fill his tag, and we were we were trying pretty hard to to find him a buck, and we actually did find a buck in that spot, but he was he was roughly fifteen hundred yards away, and uh, we were kind of trying to watch him. We were putting a plan together on how to stalk in and get closer to him, and some actually ended up spooking him and pushed him completely off the mountain. So um, we sat the rest of that day. I watched. Uh, a really nice six by six bull 
elk and another five by five and some cows. So that, that was really awesome. Got to see my first elk in the wild and hear them bugle and stuff. So really enjoyed that. But, um, as far as the deer, it just seemed like they had been pushed down the, down the mountain. So, um, our plan was to kind of hike out the, the next day and kind of hit up some, some lower elevation stuff, kind of closer to thicker cover. And, uh, we were can hiking I, back. Can I interrupt you real yeah. quick? Yep. Go ahead. How, as a guy that's East coast, you're at an elevation, you're not seeing what you're supposed to. How do you know they weren't higher or lower? Like, obviously if you couldn't go any higher, that's one thing, but what told you that yeah. you weren't just missing the deer and that they were lower? And so, how far? Yeah. So it seemed to me like all the pressure from the horse guys was as high as you could possibly get. Okay. And uh, so they were going clear to the top of these basins as far as you could go. And uh, there was definitely some traffic in there earlier in the week. You know, we found boot tracks and um, horse tracks where they, you know, going up these ridges and stuff. But um, another factor was the vegetation was so dry. There had been no rain at all in Wyoming for like the past month. So we kind of figured with that, you know, the really, you know, all the vegetation had dried out and there really wasn't anything for them to eat up high. Hmm. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Yep. So you're hunt. You were basically hunting the browse. Yep. Exactly. That makes sense. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, we, uh, so the, the next day we decided to hike out and see if we couldn't spot buck at a lower elevation and we were even going to completely change areas for a fourth time. So we, we dropped down, I'm going to say about 800 feet and we were kind of getting toward the bottom where the creek was and there's a real steep hillside over to our left and uh jeremy just happened to look at the very top of that hill and spotted a freaking giant buck standing up there <laughs> so <laughs> it's kind of a mad scramble getting spotting scopes out and all that but uh he was about 750 yards away and uh, he was kind of in some trees so we didn't have a shot at him or anything but we watched him bet down and uh, kind of lost sight of him. So plan was to uh, just set up there for the whole day, just spotting scopes on that where we watch that buck bed down and hopefully catch him coming back out of there for the evening. So we sat there from 10 a.m. until it got dark, which was 7.30. I'm not sure. It was pretty late. But uh, we never did see the big buck again, but another buck come down out of the timber it was a shooter. I mean, it was a real, real good. Uh, he was basically a big three by three, but he had a, I think he had a little split on his one G two. So it's pretty nice looking buck, but uh, where we were sitting at, we just, there wasn't any shot at him. He was just too far away. So, so where we were sitting at, we didn't have a spot to camp. It was pretty much stripping down. We were out of food, we were out of fuel for stoves. So, we decided just to hike back to the truck and camp there for the night. So we hiked, it was three and it was a, yeah, three and a quarter miles back to the truck. So get back to the truck after dark, couldn't find a spot to set up the tent. So we ended up sleeping in the truck, <laughs> which was, <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. Actually, I thought it was pretty nice, but it got down super cold that night. I think it got down to 17 degrees. 
Heck yeah. So nice and cold. So we, the plan was sleep in the truck, get up at 4 a.m. and hike three and a quarter miles back to that spot to try and kill that buck. <laughs> <laughs> what day, what day, hey, can I interrupt you? What day is this? Like what day are y'all on at this point? So this, the day that we're hiking back in, this would be Saturday. Okay, so what day of the trip? Day four, day five? So... This would be five, I think. Because he, he... Yeah, this is, well, day six, actually, six, hiking okay. back in. Oh, so it's good. Day six. Yeah, so we get up at 4 a.m., day six, hike three and a quarter miles in the dark, just pretty much as fast as we can go because we were wanting to get there before daylight. So we ended up moving up the hill a little bit, which would put us roughly 600 yards from where that buck had been the night before. So we get set up and uh, just cracking daylight, and I'm kind of scanning with my binos on the tripod, and I, I spot a deer standing up on the hill, and he's far enough away that I can't really see what it is, you know, I just... I told the guys that I'd spotted a deer, so broke out the spotter, threw it on him, and it was a really nice three-by-three with a crab claw on his front main beam. So he's standing there perfectly broadside. It was 675 yards, I believe. So pretty long poke. Yeah. Was he he... shot? (laughs) Go ahead, guys. I I mean, that's a chip shot, I mean. Thousand yards, six forty-five. <laughs> I mean, well, the uh, now that's a poke anywhere. We're pretty much shooting straight uphill, really steep angle uphill. So Josh was having a hard time getting his pack high enough so mm-hmm. he could get his gun solid. So he was struggling a little bit, but he eventually got you know got the gun dialed into where it needed to be and had a real good rest. And I'm watching through the spotting scope, gun cracks, and I watched the bullet go. Just probably a foot over that buck's back. I mean, perfect left and right, just a foot high. <laughs> oh, so, Ooh. yeah, just, yeah, we were all pretty bummed. There's oh, no doubt about man, that. Man, that yeah. would be agonizing. Yeah. Yeah, to come down to the last day like that and, you know, after getting run out by the fire and having to relocate and everything, it, uh, it you know, it, it would have been so awesome to fill that third tag, but it just – just didn't work out what what was your buddy's name that missed josh josh in case you're listening to this i want you to know the reason you missed that deer is because your other two hunting buddies used up all the luck at the very beginning (laughs) of that hunt i'm I'm just i'm gonna let you know right now they needed water they snapped their fingers they found water they needed to shoot two big bucks they got it done the first 24 hours you need to find some new hunting buddies or at least make sure you shoot first next time because that ginger beard sucked up all the luck, dude, right there from the very freaking start. <laughs> yeah, but he's got to he's got to he's got to wait for ten years or I nine know. years or how, I know. he's got time to shop. Him. He's got time to shop. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, it didn't. Did it really take y'all that long to draw that tag, or is it just y'all just didn't get a chance to go out there until then? Like, what are your odds actually of going to that unit? Is it like four years, five years, or does it legitimately take eight years? We drew it with eight points, but I think we could have got it with seven. So you're looking at seven years. But with the point creep every year, it's it's hard to tell what it'll be in, in a couple of years. So, yeah, it's it's not a easy tag to get. Dang. That's, yeah. 
or so. Well, I mean, at least it wasn't a hundred yard shot that he missed. I mean, it, he he missed a really difficult shot. So I mean, yeah, it was it was a hard shot. There's no doubt about that. I mean, it was. I'm I'm I doubt I could have made it. I mean, he did he did pretty good, really. I thought. Now, were y'all using any like different like range finders or anything to help you out? I mean, I don't know what kind of distance or how high up he was actually shooting. I mean, did y'all have like a range finder that compensated for all of that? Yeah, so I was using a Nikon. It's a new uh, Monarch 3000. It's a stabilized, you know, angle compensated and all that. But uh, I'm thinking that's just the altitude because, you know, that thinner air, it's, you know, your uh. bullet doesn't drop quite as much. And, you know, we had factored this into the, the drop charts and all that for the rifle. But I'm thinking that it was just, you know, altitude combined with that sharp uphill angle. It just it went a little bit flatter than we uh, than we thought it would. Well, now, and, the, and at 645 yards, he could have you could have compensated for everything right and he could have squeezed just a little too tight, you know? I mean, it's day day 6, day 7, you're sitting there looking at exhaustion. I mean, you, your margin for error on a 645-yard shot is not, you know, huge. I mean, you're starting to really poke. Yeah, I mean, everything's got to be just perfect. Yeah. And, yeah, just just missed him by that much. Just <laughs> you know, it looked like was it raining that day? No, we actually didn't have any rain on that trip. Okay, y'all never had any rain. Yeah, that's yeah. right. You said there hadn't been any rain there in a month or so. Now the Bucks there, they weren't rutting or anything, were they? This was just like early season. They're still were they all still coming out of velvet at that point? Or um what what was the Yeah, they had just come out of velvet. Um they were actually still in bachelor groups. All the Bucks that we saw were kind of grouped up together so yeah it was definitely an early season just kind of feed to bed pattern yeah, your so your buck had velvet remaining on one of its tines did your did your other buddy have that just as well was that typical for that time matter of fact actually now that i think about it is you is wyoming unique that that early in the year you can be hunting with a rifle it seems like all the rifle hunts that i see uh on youtube tend to be like in the, the blizzard of, of Montana or Minnesota. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, it's actually pretty unique. Um, you do get some high country hunts in like Colorado that are early season with a rifle. And it's, that's usually why those tags are so hard to get because your, your success rates are usually a little bit higher because, you know, the bucks are still out in the, out in the open feeding and, you know, in bachelor groups. So it, yeah, it's a, uh, I'd say your odds are a little bit higher once you find them. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it. Y'all had 66% success rate out there, almost 100%. I was about to say, they had the you're, potential you're to Within a foot out. of 100%, so that's pretty That's pretty good. Yeah, definitely. So what would you do differently preparing for that hunt? If you had to do it, if you could rewind to the beginning of the season, what would you have done differently? Either on the hunt, going into the hunt, what, what would you do differently? Man, that's a good question. Um I think we did a lot of things right on this trip. Um, honestly, wish we would have checked out that lower elevation a little bit earlier in the hunt. You know, we kind of were under the impression that we needed to be as high as we could possibly get. And uh, I think instead of, you know, that second spot we hunted, if we would have just focused a little more on that lower elevation, I think we probably could have tagged out, you know, without too much trouble. But, you know, hunting uh, – completely different species in an area you've never been to it's it's kind of hard to say what to do but 
Um, as far as a, a physical standpoint, I felt like I was in pretty good shape, but I felt like I could have been in, you know, even better shape, you know, done even more, but, uh, yeah, you, it's hard to prepare for that, that thin air out there in the altitude. It's just something that's hard to, hard to train for. Well, and I joked earlier saying that it was just an easy transition for you. Obviously for anybody who thinks <laughs> I was being serious there, I was joking. What was the elevation difference between like where you typically reside and hunt and there? Yeah, so the elevation here is about 1,200 feet, right where I'm sitting right now. And uh, the trailhead that we started from was at 8,500, and we hiked up to 10.3. Wow. So pretty big difference. That's a couple stories. A couple, yeah, a few. <laughs> did, did any of you guys get sick or anything or feel the altitude sickness, or were you all just kind of acclimated because you're from West Virginia? I mean <laughs> – um, we actually did really well. Um, we had two different types, two different types of medication that we took with us, um, Diamox and something else. Can't remember the name of it, but, um, we actually never had to take it. We, uh, you know, the first couple of days we kind of took it slow, took a lot of breaks, drank a lot of water. You know, I did, you know, I, I did have points where I could catch my breath. Um, the first night that we camped there, you know, I just laid in the tent, just, pretty much gasping for air and I wasn't doing anything. I was just laying there, but (laughs) um, (laughs) it took me, took me about three days to acclimate. And then after that, I was, I was pretty much fine, but uh, yeah, you know, none of us got sick. Um, Josh and Jeremy did have like a real slight headache, but um, other than that, I I think we did pretty good. That's incredible, man. That's, I'm a little, I'm a little envious. I, my mom and everybody lives at about 12. No, she actually lives at almost 2000 feet. And I, I go up there and I walk down her driveway, which is like 125 foot of elevation change. And I'm just like wheezing. And my, here's my sister walking backwards. <laughs> and I'm like, God, this makes such a freaking difference. I say all that to say this. Is there any way that you think a flatlander can actually prepare for that kind of environment? So I'll tell you what I did. Um, I basically did a lot of hikes with heavy weight on my back, going up the steepest, nastiest terrain that I could find. And um, I would this hill behind my house, it's a quarter mile up and, you know, up and back. So I would do five laps up that hill with 60, 70, 80 pounds on my back, you know, pretty heavy weight. Right. And uh, that alone will kick your freaking butt. I mean, it's, it's pretty tough, but so close to my trip, you know, I could do five, six laps up that hill, no problem. So I would come back to the house and I had a truck tire with some weight in it and I would hook a rope to that and actually use my tree saddle as a harness. I would drag that tire up the hill in my yard, which is about 80 yards, kind of a decent incline. So I would drag that tire up that hill and then down and then I would do a mile's worth of tire drags. And if you have never done a tire drag, it is a freaking workout from hell. It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it really, I really felt that that was probably the best simulation to climbing those steep mountains out there with little oxygen. I really felt that that was a was a pretty good workout and it i think it helped me a lot actually that, that's actually that makes actually a lot of sense how it's almost like the the mount it, the the tire drag itself kind of 
acting like the mountain sucking you back down. That I might actually do that myself. I think the elliptical and the stairmaster are going to be my best friends in the coming months. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, do that, and um, yeah, definitely. You know, a good pair of boots. I mean, you have to have a good pair of boots. You know, we walked over sixty miles in six days. I think we did eleven thousand vertical feet of elevation. So, you know, if you're, you know, anybody that's thinking about going out west, get the best pair of boots you can afford. You know, you may have to to try on a few different pair to see what fits you good, but um definitely do all your training and your hiking boots and the actual gear that you're going to use because you know the more you can have that dialed in you know the the smoother your hunt well chase do you have any closing questions thoughts concerns feel like we missed anything no i'm only i mean i got a question is what's your next trip like what what are you planning next so i think i'm going to do an archery elk hunt next i think that's my I think that's my next adventure. Archery elk. Uh, you got any? You got any idea of what state or anything like that? Um, I thought about Colorado. I thought about Idaho. Um, I've actually, I actually just put in points for the same area that I mule deer hunted for elk. So it's a general elk unit. So it, it'll take maybe two points to draw that. But um, yeah, since I've been in that area. I've seen, you know, I saw the elk sign. I saw the elk kind of know where they were. So I'd, I'd really like to get back out there in the same area and hunt those elk. How long will yeah, it take man, you to draw that tag? Another eight um, years? For the, for the elk, you mean? Yeah. I can actually draw it in two years, I think. Oh, so you could, you've got plenty, you've got just enough time really to prepare maybe change your gear set up a little bit because you're probably not going to use the same archery setup you have for whitetails you could shift gears and be ready with little to no effort yeah and i've you know i already kind of know that area a little bit too so kind of a leg up on that oh yeah dude that's awesome man that's that's killer it's, I'm, I'm going out on a tag along hunt this year for elk i'm not going to actually uh pull a tag because i just know i'm not going to be physically ready and I'm going I'm going to learn, I'm going to absorb, I'm going to just suck it all in so I can prepare and then fall of twenty twenty I'm going out there with, with the, the goal of, of killing an elk. I don't care what it is, as long as it meets the requirements of legal and it's within range, it dies. So Yeah, man. That yep. first, that on on the ground knowledge I think is probably gonna make the difference. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I would just encourage anybody, I mean, if you've never been out west, I mean get out there and do it. If you're thinking about doing it, just do it. It's, it's really not as, as intimidating as, as what you think it is. I didn't have, I had about a thousand bucks and you know, th- this isn't counting my gear, but you know, with the tag gas food to get out there, everything, I had about a thousand bucks in it. So you can save a thousand bucks and go do an awesome hunt. That's awesome, man. Well, before I let you go, we're, we've ran well past what, what I thought, but given the technical difficulties we had there for a moment, I'm not too concerned <laughs> about it. But I, I, I'm going to leave you with a question, and I I hope you're ready because this oh, tends yeah. to stump nine out of ten people. <laughs> the only person it didn't stump, I think, was Chase, actually. It was very disappointing. No so boy. if you could go back to your earliest mounting, mountain hunting self, which would could be – this year and share one 
piece of advice, one singular piece of advice that would change the way that you hunt the mountains, what would that piece of advice be? Just be in the best possible physical shape that you can be. Chase, he joins the ranks of you of not being stumped by that question. Good answer. Good answer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, you you built us both up as legendary, so, I mean. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He has to be ready. Yeah, yeah, it's, he's pretty clutch. much had to nail it, right? Yeah, man. Hey, well, hey, Jared, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. That story uh, inspired me. It makes me want to get out west. Uh, Walt and I have been talking for a while about trying to get out there. We were actually going to try to do like a mule coos deer hunt at the end of January this year. Um, that kind of got sidetracked. Walt yep. had something called CPA or something like that. I mean, I'm just a dumb fireman, so I don't even know what that means. Um, but it's stories like yours that uh, inspire us to get out there, start putting points in, and try to make a hunt out west because it sounds like it's just worth the experience. Even if you don't kill anything, it's just good to go out and see other parts of the country. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was just a, a great time. And, you know, like I like I said in the video, the kill was, you know, it was honestly the smallest part of this trip. It was, you know, getting to go out there and see that country and having a, having a, you know, a good time with two good friends. It was, uh, yeah, it was well worth the effort. Well, that's Thanks awesome. for coming on and sharing your story. Yeah. And if you'll hang on for one second, I'm going to close this out, but I want to chat with you afterwards. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. Guys, if you enjoy hearing from legends like Jared and you want to hear more stories like this, hit that subscribe button, but do us one favor. Share this podcast with one of your friends. Let's grow the Chasing Tales nation. Let's let's make this a, a nationwide movement. Eventually, we can take this thing globally, uh, but but share it with your friends. Tell your friends why you enjoy it, and uh, we're going we're gonna to build this thing one day at a time. Yeah, make, make sure to leave us a review. Yeah, and, and leave us a review. That's it. And until next time, y'all get outside and enjoy the outdoors. Bye.